Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, folks. Welcome back to this Mountain Squire football podcast. We're here at Matt Kennedy. Week zero preview. Finally. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? We get to finally talk about some actual college football. I really love it. Get, games are here. We are MWR.com. That's our website. This is we're, we're rolling out lots of podcasts this week. Recently, we had the Boise State preview, which, are, which was our final team preview. We did our mega preview, which, man, I feel that's kind of misleading to say it's a mega preview when it's really just like 65 minutes. It is good enough. And for those few complaints I saw, I saw you replied nicely. Go check out the prior podcast if you didn't get enough of your team. Yeah, pro tip, if there was something in the mega preview we didn't talk about and you were wondering why we didn't talk about it, there's a pretty good chance we talked about it on the individual team podcasts. So unless you're a Hawaii fan, you've still got another week to go back and listen to those and get up to speed on everything from the offseason. Yeah, just go through that. Like the quarterback situation, Fresno, we, that's why we brought up the running back, Jordan Mims, and the other guys getting dinged up for Gene Holkett coming to offense. So... That's kind of what we did there. So we made our predictions, which will be up on the website soon. I, I've had a few uh, life gets in the way, as we like to say here. More important things than little podcasts and writing on the website. But it'll be there. Predictions, picks. Today, here's what we're doing. Um, we're going to talk over some – not talk over. Talk about some new stuff that happened, even from our, make, our big show the other day. We'll do our Arizona-Hawaii preview later in the show, but – the most interesting I thought, you sent me all stuff today, Matt, because I was busy doing stuff. So one of the best things I thought you sent me, that's a pretty big deal, UNLV. Emphasizing a run-pass option more this season with, you know, probably Armani Rogers, arguably, what, top three most important players on any given team? I think I would agree with that sentiment, yeah. Would you say he's higher, number one? He's, I mean, he's definitely in the mix for that number one spot. Yeah, he's... We we had talked about it before last year. He went down. The production just dove like a like an anchor, sounded like an anchor, I guess. But wait, like you look through this, you got like it's um, Tony Sanchez talking about Monty Rogers. It's not just him, obviously. They have good running backs there with like Charles Williams. But doing this type of offense is just going to make everybody knows the run pass options, right, Matt? Do we need to really explain that? I don't think so. We we have a we have okay. a pretty smart audience, I think. Thank you. Appreciate. It. If you don't know, run pass options in the title. With Armani Rogers' legs being what they are, it's a thing. Doing it more, I think, is the right move because his throwing ability is okay. Actually, not even okay. He's not even a 50% career completion percentage guy, but this could help that improve because if he moves the pocket side to side, like a delayed or extended uh, delayed handoff, or like, you know how they kind of go slow, and they hand it off, they go to the outside the tackle and tight end, and they may keep it. That could help open other players up and get that percentage to say 55% for his career by the end of the season, which would be a six percentage jump in one year is a pretty big deal overall in his third year play. Yeah, and I think that we've seen enough evidence from his, you know, couple of years as the starting quarterback where in the past, like when they want to throw the ball down the field, his ability to do so has been kind of hit or miss. And to just kind of to be more specific about the article that Mark Anderson of the Las Vegas Review Journal wrote, 
I guess in last year's playbook, the RPOs were about 15% of the playbook. This year, it's about a third. And I think it's a smart move just because, especially when you consider not only Rodgers, but most of the weapons that he has at his disposal in the receiving game this year. You know, Taylor Collins is a, you know, a speed guy, a real shifty guy. When you create those opportunities and, and freeze defenders, you know, it creates easier completions for Rodgers. You know, he's not going to have to throw the ball down the field with maybe a play action pass or something like that. You know, between him, between, you know, Mekhi Stevenson, other guys who are probably going to be in that wide receiver rotation, all of those guys can, you know, create plays in space. And so if they're able to connect on those particular types of plays, I think it's a step in the right direction for an offense that, you know, as we talked about in previous podcasts, they're going to be run heavy. They're always probably going to lead with the run, but they have to have some kind of presence in the passing game. And I think this is definitely the probably the most ideal way for the offense as constructed now to do it. Yeah, we saw how Tony Collins played last year. This opens him up even more. Like, receiving group in a conference is pretty deep. Like, from Colorado State, Hawaii, Boise State will have a guy or two step up, of course. Utah State probably will. So, Collins could be one of those top five receivers in the league, and that could push him up even higher if he gets open. Anyway, he goes up 5% or something like that just because there's a delayed handoff and a pullback by Rodgers. He throws it down the yeah. field. And so, I like this move, like, immensely if they're going to get Rodgers and UNLV to a who knows they'll get to a bowl game, but just help them be better overall when they play like the teams having the schedule. And then one other big news, they got a running back cleared to play. Uh, how do you say this? Is it Biagio Ali Walsh? Yes. This, you don't sound confident in that. No, that is, I'm pretty sure that's how it is. Yeah, yeah. He's, um, you know what's pretty cool about him? Muhammad Ali's Muhammad grandson. Ali's grandson. That is pretty cool. I did not know that. Also, so, I, mean, I just saw it right now. Side note question for you have you seen the, those new louisville uniforms i have not so okay you may not okay maybe google what i'm talking with here because it brings up muhammad ali because he's from the area they made a uniforms that were inspired by muhammad ali but if you look at them clearly no disrespect meant to one of the greatest athletes of all time ever the uniforms don't really scream muhammad ali to me hmm it seems like the, the pose it's like it's like a white uniform, and they're trying to kind of mimic the this tech style of his robe he wore. But I'm like, it looks nice, it looks clean, but I'm not sure it really goes from Muhammad Ali look, except for people like standing in a boxing pose. Seems fine. But doesn't doesn't like, really stand out. Yeah, it, I mean, like comparing to him, like okay, it, it seems fine. I'm like okay, but it, it, so being a grandson of Ali, he's probably an athletic of some level. He was at Cal last year, transferred in, so he may not play a lot because you had Williams, obviously number one. McGayer, number two, Chad McGayer there. So having more depth for a team, like look happened last year, Rodgers goes down. Having more depth in teams as a conference is huge. So he may not play a lot, but just something to look for. Because if anybody goes down, that, that's, that's fine. He did have a little back issue, but if he's healthy to play and Tomos goes down, it's just another guy to play. And so that's kind of why I brought this up, because the name comes from Cal, and he's clearly he's eligible right away. And, you can't have too many guys in the Mountain West because the depth isn't there like the Pac-12 or SEC or Big Ten teams. Well, and even even if neither of those guys at the top of the depth chart suffer any kind of injury or anything like that, it's not like UNLV in recent years hasn't made use of the guys further down the depth chart. You know, just going back and looking at the two guys departing from the program, you know, Xavier Campbell and Evan Owens, 
they didn't see a hundred combined carries between them, but they were still like a very critical component of the offense. You know, they had opportunity rates in the 50 to 60% range. So they were taking advantage of a strong run blocking offensive line. And, you know, they both had success rates of 59 or excuse me, 49 and 62%. Like that's really good. So obviously that's a very high standard to live up to, but even if he's not a 200 carry guy like Lexington Thomas was last year, even if he's only getting 50, 60 carries, the way the offense wants to run the football, they're going to find a role for him, I think. And yeah, if he can be efficient and a little bit explosive, all the more power to him. Exactly. All right, let's move on to another note that's not the happiest of news, but it does, um, we'll see what happens with. But if you've read one of the articles I did and our guy Roger Holian, makes some quarterback situation is kind of, uh, it's, uh, they're still looking for the guy. Sherry and Jones, um, you have uh, Tavaka 202 looking to be st- to start possibly. His grandfather has been ill. With like as of today recording, he passed away, which is sad. But depending how, I don't know what his health issue is. But sometimes that's a better thing. If they're not healthy, if they're in pain, moving on, it's probably a better thing for them and everybody else to move forward. So with that, I don't know. For on the field stuff, who knows? He'll be back in New Mexico outside the funeral. He's gonna attend, but just. Say hi. Be nice to him. You know I mean, have good thoughts for going his way because that's a tough thing. I've had we've had a lot of people pass away, but so he's not gonna be going back and forth to California as much. Because how hard would it be, man, if you're going through the whole year knowing they're struggling, you can't be out there, do you leave your team, you miss your family? It's kind of a tough thing. So at least with this, he can kind of move forward, and whether he plays or not or starts or not, he can kind of get back, not to worry about back of his head. Are they gonna? like pass away during a game or something. Sometimes I can't be there. And he's able to go out there, which is a good thing to do. No, and I mean, and, him, and we've so. seen how other players have approached similar kinds of situations as originally as this offseason. If you recall, you know, McLean Mannix at Nevada, you know, because his mom yes. had an illness of some kind, if I remember correctly. And so he eventually just transferred from Nevada out to Texas Tech so we could be there. And, you know, obviously the situation developed in in a different way which is obviously the most unfortunate result that you could have but yeah it's it's i'm not really sure what to say because in this particular instance the on-field ramifications just don't really seem important right now no no all it really means like like i said it's like he can kind of focus on what he wants to focus on but it's just that news because that's why if you haven't heard that's why he's been going missing a bunch of fall camp, fall camp at the moment going out to california i think twice at least and so let's uh, wish him luck, and hopefully it's uh, just do your thing and just kind of try to get through it. It's, it's not an easy situation. Yeah. Uh, I guess we got to do a hard transfer here because that's not, maybe we should save that for the end, Matt. I don't know. That wasn't the best move made on my part. But let's go to some more football stuff that's not sad. Let's go to Wyoming. So we're going to Laramie. Well, shoot. That could be a sad thing as well, but we're, we're okay with that. We're moving on. They have how many spots in the offensive line are available for them? Is it? Two, three. They had their depth chart they released last week. According to Davis Potter, it's down to one. One? Okay. So it's going to be, look like, sophomore Patrick Arnold or Eric Abuji. Abuji? I'll go with Abuji. And so how big... I was going to say, the bright side with both of those guys is both Abuji and Arnold did see starting time last year. If I remember correctly, they both started four games exactly. And, you know, they both bring a lot of size. And so, it, you know, it might be the kind of thing where 
regardless of whoever wins that job, we kind of know what Wyoming wants to do. They, we, like we just talked about with UNLV, they're going to lead by running the football. And I think that both of those guys showed last year that they could definitely have a hand in doing that. So I'm not sure if it's the kind of thing that's ultimately going to, uh, excuse me, ultimately going to move the needle one way or the other. It's just one of those things where maybe one of those guys is going to end up seeing more of a share of the playing time, and whoever doesn't win that starting job is just going to be kind of a rotation guy, where it's not like he's not going to see any playing yeah. time whatsoever. But you know, obviously, you want to be a starter and you want to be able to, uh, a primary contributor on that front. They will both play plenty when they open up against Missouri. Yeah. So having like again the depth with like we mentioned the Rebels running back situation, having depth there, experience depth, that's that's never a bad thing. So that's um, a little bit wild news. Let's go to um, actually good Air Force. They've lost uh, two wide receivers today. Not great. It, well, not great, but also it is a receiver. Do they really need receivers? <laughs> okay, so maybe before we answer that question, we should we should fill in the folks who may not be aware of it. So. Essentially, Brandon Lewis and David Cormier, both of whom were expected to be kind of in the mix among the starting unit, um, they received what was what do they call it? a loss in status, and so they cannot yeah. represent the Air Force Academy in any official capacity. Not in good standing is the exact phrasing they used. And so, obviously, throwing the football isn't the primary part of the Air Force's offense, but you know, now you go and look at the at the roster that that the Falcons have out there. Right now, they only have five wide receivers listed. We know Gerard Sanders is going to hold down one of those spots. Um, after that, question mark. Yeah. Just run the ball, I guess. Run, Falcon, run. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that sounds like really simple, but obviously you want to have guys on the outside because they need receivers not only to represent a downfield threat, but they need receivers to like block too. And so, yeah. you know, I just at the moment I don't know who that's going to be. You know, they might have to actually like dip into their freshman ranks, which almost never happens. Mm. I think. You know, Ben Peterson, Ben uh, Ben Waters, you know, both of those guys are juniors and seniors, but uh, Brett Brigham and the Colorado Springs Gazette also threw Dane Kinneman out there, you know, as a young guy who could potentially break into that rotation. So it's not like they don't have guys who could potentially step into those roles, but obviously, you know, that's a, a unit where it wasn't exactly full of depth to begin with. And it's not like, you know, losing someone like Joshua Stoner or Cole Fagan from the running back position where you still got three or four guys who could reasonably contribute right away. That's going to be a big question mark. And so, I, you know, for me, what I'm most interested in is considering what we just talked about in our mega preview, you know, one of the things that you've been most adamant about is kind of beating the drum about being really optimistic about Air Force. Does this change yeah. your thoughts on the Falcons this year? Uh, not really, because like you said, they run the ball. It is a good thing to have a wide receiver group one or two to be that. Because they always typically have, like, that one guy who can go down the field and ha average, like, 20 yards a catch. Like um, Marcus Bennett last year. Led the conference in 19, just over 19 yards per catch. Only two a game, three touchdowns. They always have a deep guy who will get 20, maybe 15 to 25 catches. It is a concern because they, but they may not have that guy on the roster. It may take a while to get that guy. Mm -hmm. 
So I am slipping a little bit on where I think they'd be overall. But okay, if Fagan and these two guys out, it's it's not looking good for my bold prediction of them winning the conference. Again, Strauss bold. People say, oh, he predict the Falcons. No. Bold prediction. That's not my actual prediction. The upside is that it makes that bold prediction even bolder. Heck yeah. What do I get out of that now? <laughs> Just saying, what if I'm right? That's true. But it, it, it is concerning because anytime you lose players, and like you said, if they go to a true freshman at the academy, remember, they don't redshirt. They may play on that JV squad, but mostly I think the defense is going to take a step forward for them, but offense I think will be okay without it, but there'll be times where it's missed where they don't get that deep threat that they desperately may need on a certain play. Yeah. All right, so what else? Should we go to San Diego State's defense? Oh. This little, next little bit, tidbit of news here? Yeah. So I guess the update's in their secondary, is that correct? Where there's uh, trying to figure things out back there? It looks like, uh, at least according to Aaron Tolentino of the Daily Aztec, that they did figure it out. So, and this was as of uh, uh, August 22nd on the, we're recording in the evening on Thursday. So according to Rocky Long, this is going to be the secondary for the Aztecs. They're going to have uh, Luke Barku and Darren Hall at corner. And then they're going to have Dwayne Johnson at the Aztec position and Kyrie Woods and Tariq Thompson at the Warrior positions, which are basically like their safety positions. To me, it was mostly interesting because I think there was some question as to where Woods in particular was going to fit in because he saw most of his playing time last year at corner. And they shifted him, you know, because, you know, one of the things that they'd been really beating the drum about in fall camp was finding the lineup that would create the most turnovers. And so I thought it was interesting because it's not like they didn't have guys back there who couldn't have factored in, you know, Taylor Hawkins was a guy with some experience. Uh, Trenton Thompson had some experience. And I know that, you know, a couple of those guys were dealing with some kind of lingering injuries where they were taking precautions with them throughout fall camp. But I think once everybody gets healthy and everybody gets up to speed, uh, uh, up to game speed rather, uh, for week one, week two, or whatever, you know, I think I mentioned this most explicitly in the Boise State podcast, but I think San Diego State's definitely in that same conversation where you know these might be the five starters that they have, but this is one of the deeper units in the conference. And when you look at the uh, the quarterback questions elsewhere in the conference, if that, I mean, if that lineup goes out and does what Rocky Long, Rocky Long thinks it can do, you know, all of a sudden you have to start thinking about San Diego State as a factor for the conference crown again. Yeah, I think they're in the mix regardless. And also just trusting Rocky, right, with the defense? Yeah, exactly. There's no, no reason no reason to say, oh, he made the wrong choice, wrong choice here, but especially with three times back there, they're going to be fine. It's just glad they solidified what it is. Also, um, one quick note that's not there. Boise State is still not named a quarterback yet. So there's that. That's true. <laughs> Just saying, people people want to know that, I guess. I did take a quick look to see if there could be a hint at who the team captains are. Not a quarterback. Nope. Just because you never know. You got John Mulkin, uh, offensive lineman, uh, Keiko, Nahoween safety, and then uh, David Mola. Those are, those are captains. But I had to give the obligatory, who's the quarterback? So we're still down to Boise Air Force in New Mexico and not making a pick, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, also, really quick, for Boise State, not to go off the track with them, but I just see 
Apparently, Alex Runnybrook was taking part in Florida State two-minute offense first team reps. Uh, that was a drill, and that's that's all I'll can say we about make that. that. Can we please make that happen? Because my prediction of Boise State winning will be even more likely. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, I I've seen Runnybrook play before. He's just okay. He's fine. He's fine. So, but yeah. All right. So we get to the game. Are we here to week zero? Uh, do we want to touch on Braylon Scott real quick? Oh, yeah, what's up with Brandon Scott? Yes, I forgot one last piece of news. So Colorado State, former safety, actually moved to wide receiver in fall camp. Um, But he is academically ineligible to play a senior year. Uh, Not good. Not good, but also when – and we talked about it during our Rams preview earlier in the summer, but – you know, with Warren Jackson, with Nate Craig Myers coming in, you know, with young guys like Nico Hall and EJ Scott, who should be able to take on larger roles. If all of those guys can reach their ceiling, I think they'll be fine. But obviously something like that is kind of a bummer whenever anybody's academically, academically ineligible. Yeah, you got to take care of that type of stuff. Yeah. All right, so let's get to the game. Let's right? do it. Week zero, you have our preview up. Thank you for that. This is the, I know it's the FCS game, so no disrespect to them. This will be the second FBS game played on this weekend, Saturday. The first you got Florida-Miami. Good appetizer, right? <laughs> yeah, I like, I like how you frame that. <laughs> it's college football. I'm going to watch, right? You're probably going to watch that game too, right? Florida-Miami. Yeah, I'll probably watch it for a half. Until the Hawaii game starts, which is a one of the few CBS Sports Network, the only CBS Sports Network game. That's at Hawaii, I believe, this year, because the rest of the games are on uh, Facebook and in the mainland, so we get a good night. We, as did last week, round of applause for that, Mad right? babe, mad babe, yeah. 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 on the East Coast, so we'll be hanging out on Twitter with everybody else who's hanging out in Chicago, New York, wherever Midwestern town that all commemorates on Twitter. Remember, MWCY to check us out there. We'll be starkey and having fun, maybe posting some videos of the game. It'll be on our website as well. So, oh, no, sorry, that's the Facebook games. TVSports.com, Fubo TV free trial. This game, playing Arizona, the odds, Matt. Are the Wildcats really 11 points better than Hawaii? Honestly, when I saw that line, it looked about right to me. Why? Arizona's not a bad team. I know they're not a bad team. Kevin Sumlin, year two. Cole Tate has, was getting Heisman buzz this time last year. He didn't play all last year, didn't play great, got benched, but he has potential to be – like, he's had potential to make Arizona a Pac-12 spoiler. Mm-hmm. I think it's potent- possibly. However, I've also seen Arizona, Arizona play defense. <laughs> so that doesn't, that doesn't really help us help them out either. It's going to be – my prediction really quick, kind of early prediction as we get through it, there's going to be a lot of points in this game. Well, let's see. Let me see if I can find the over/under real quick. I think it's uh at the moment, according to Odd Shark, it is seventy-four. Wow, that's a lot. So if it's eleven point, yeah. So seventy-four would be I mean, it's eleven point game. What's that? Forty to twenty-nine, somewhere in that range. Forty-three, thirty-one. Yeah. Can we please? Can we? Can we lock that in? <laughs> wouldn't, that wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> so. It, it, that proves my point. It shows my point a little bit. Defense is bad for Arizona. However, so is Hawaii's defense. <laughs> they lost a little Tavani to the blind second-round pick. They don't have a ton coming back that we talked about before. They have a few guys here and there they're excited about. But 
the defense was well below average all of last year. That's why I mentioned earlier in our, earlier in our previews. If they can be close to the middle of the pack, that can help them be really good this year. Mm-hmm. But um, so where should we start in Arizona? Like, what, do you have any thoughts on the Wildcats that we should actually go in a good order here and not just bounce around to everything we want to talk about? Well, to me, the first big thing that I watch for in this game is how well Hawaii's front four is going to match up with Arizona's offensive line. Because, you know, between Tate and J.J. Taylor, you know, they ran the ball just about more than anybody in the Pac-12 last year. And when you look at the offensive line in particular, it, you know, they do have some very good pieces up front. In particular, they've got a left tackle in Donovan Leahy, who he's only a sophomore, but he was one of the better freshman in the Pac-12 period in any position last year. But looking at the unit as a whole, they've got three sophomores slated to be on that unit on that line. You know, Lay Robert Congle on the left side, and then at right tackle, either Edgar Barola or Peyton Fears. So when you know that you have a team that wants to run the ball, and for the most part did it fairly well last year, like they were you know, they, they did you know, <laughs> create enough holes where J.J. Taylor was a 1,400-yard runner. Uh, and between him and Gary Brightwell, they averaged about, what, five and a half, nearly six yards per carry last year. Um, you know, you start there and you think, okay, so we know Air- Hawaii is bringing a lot of experience back. But I think especially on the defensive line, you know, we knew Kam- Kamana Padello could be a disruptive force. But he's going to have to be as disruptive force, uh, you know, again. And I think maybe more importantly, he's going to have to find some help up front. And so I look at particular, you know, the guys on the interior, bless Mintala, Kendall Hewn, because if Arizona wants to line up and just run the ball down Hawaii's throat, you know, you think about a way to keep the, keep the, the offense off the field is just, you know, run the ball, chew clock. And Hawaii has the, or excuse me, Arizona has the assets to do that. So figuring out how to slow down Taylor, how to get him off the field, is probably going to be priority number one. Because in last year's games, when Arizona won, he averaged nearly seven yards a carry. It was 6.8 yards per carry. In the seven games that they lost, though, he averaged just 4.6, which is okay, but clearly it demonstrates that he is the focal point of what the Wildcats want to do. So if Hawaii can slow him down, I think everything follows from that. Can we point out really quick? He had two game, three games where he had rushed for 27 or more times mm-hmm. to get those amount of yards. 284 versus Oregon, 212 versus Oregon, excuse me, Oregon State, 212 versus Oregon, Colorado 192. But that 192, 40 carries, only a 4.8 on average. So while he... Your point stands clearly. It took him, I don't know, it just seems like he was more up than down because he had over a game of 10 and a half yards per carry, games of three, four. He's all over the board. He wasn't a consistent back, I would say. Mm-hmm. Good, but like he, week to week, like look at his numbers, like at Houston, like, well, sorry, I was going to mention the FCS game, that doesn't matter, but like, like 27 versus Oregon State, 284. Next week, SC, 18 for 50, 15 for 73, 19 for 154. He kind of peaked later in the year because four, four was lost five at over 100 yards. That's good. He just wasn't, over, for the first bit, wasn't extremely consistent. I expect it to change. That's something to look out for for why he can be disruptive a little bit. 
Um, but also, Khalil Tate's not injured. He's going to be fine. That was the issue with him last year being hurt. So if you have Taylor and Tate, good to go, which they should week this week zero game. Mm-hmm. The Hawaii defense is going to have to, like, if they're going to get a win, they need somebody to, they're going to give up points. I'm not expecting, I don't want to say come out and uh, give up only 14 points. They're going to need to make a stop or two or make some sort of big turnover in the game. That's why the over-under is so high. Defense isn't very good. They're going to need to come up with some sort of play like that. But with the way they run the ball, Tate and Taylor, it's going to be tough to stop. But there's going to, he's got to do something out there. Where, like, the defense line needs more pressure. They have some guys, like you mentioned, they have guys coming back who are reasonably okay. But I'm, a, I'm under no impression they're going to come in and dominate there as an offense. They're just going to need to come in and play good enough and make a couple plays to allow the offense just to score. The offense will score. I mean, I think if they can force them into more obvious passing situations, you know, obviously Hawaii didn't possess a great secondary last year. But when you look at the difference between what Arizona did just passing in general versus passing downs, at least by S&P Plus, the performance was a little closer to average overall on those more obvious passing downs. And I think a lot of that is going to start by winning on early downs, especially if they want to run on early downs. Because you know, last year, you know, even despite Padello, Hawaii wasn't necessarily great at you know creating tackles for loss. They were only 102nd nationally on stuff rate, whereas the Wildcats on offense were pretty much a top 25 team by that same metric. And in those, you know, more short yardage situations, you know, power rushing situations, you know, they were 32nd by that measure as well. So I think if if Hawaii can win those early downs when Arizona wants to run the ball, especially if like Arizona strikes first and gets a lead, I think that's the kind of situation where they're going to double down on just beating Taylor and, you know, maybe creating opportunities for Tate to roll out and, uh, you know, be a same, you know, be a factor on the ground game as well. Because he only had 60 carries last year after you adjust for sacks, but he also averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So even if he's not kind of the all-American caliber quarterback we might have thought he'd be two years ago, he's still he's yeah. still very good in his own right. And so that's something oh, yeah. that you know, Hawaii is going to have to prepare for and definitely take advantage of because I think if they can force him to throw, he was okay last year. You know, he did have 26 he, touchdowns and he did only have eight interceptions, um, but he only completed 56% of his passes too. And I think that that's something that if you're a Hawaii fan, that's what you look forward to. He's basically a souped up version of Armani Rogers. Sort of. Yeah. For I mean, like when you look at how we can run it, yeah, yeah. run it a little bit, but the passing numbers aren't great. So, before we switch sides to the different side of the ball here, for the Hawaii defense to keep this to keep this game close or not close, but to give the offense a chance to win, what's what's like the most points they can give up to stay in this game on defense? Thirty. You think they can? They give up thirty. That'll be Cole McDonald can put up more than that. And that should be enough. I think so because I, I'm assuming that if Arizona puts up thirty, it's because they're stringing together a, at least a few drives that take up a lot of clock. And I mean, I think that we, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, I'm sure, that Hawaii definitely has that quick strike capability. But I'm not sure that's the kind of thing you want to lean on again and again. I think that you want to have a defense that can make stops. Yeah. I, you might be, I, I'm thinking more along the lines of, I think it could, you could be there. I'd be more comfor- comfortable with about 25 mm-hmm. in that range. Because 30, I could have, because look, again, no grander 74 points. 
they're expecting one team to get above 40. Yeah. So I I think you're right. Like, make Kulitate throw the ball a bit more. Try to have Taylor have one of his inconsistent games to a degree. And like I said, my big thing, they need to have some sort of big plan defense or at least either like say back-to-back stops or say like um, an interception or a short field or something like that to help the offense quickly to swing like a 14 point swing or, or a 10 point swing to help them out. Well, and to that point, that's what I think that they need to do. And to that point, you know, I think, you know, when you look at the difference in experience that Hawaii has coming back versus the experience that Arizona is bringing into the starting lineup at wide receiver, there's really no question as to who's going to be a factor in the Hawaii secondary. I think the the only ors right now are at Nickelback and, and one of the safety positions with Kalen Hicks or Corey Bentley or, you know, Eugene Ford or Kai Kaneshiro. So I think all of those guys are probably going to be a factor. But when you look at who at least is in the starting three spots, you know, at wide receiver and in the slot position, they do have Cedric Peterson coming back, but he only caught 18 passes. And he had a catch rate of 51%, which isn't great. Uh, and the guys who are stepping into the starting lineup, you know, guys like Brian Castile, for instance, he didn't catch a single pass last year. Uh, or Drew Dixon, who's a redshirt sophomore, you know, he had only one target. So that's why I think that's another point of evidence to the fact that if they can make Tate throw the ball, that puts pressure on these new guys who are stepping into larger, more prominent roles to basically step up and contribute. Yeah, I, I, I'm i right with you there as well. Let's switch sides real quick. Ready to go to the offense versus defense? Yeah. Like, I am a big fan of Cole McDonald, as people should know. You should be as well if you're not. I was going to say, aren't we all? If, we, if you're a college football fan, you should like Cole McDonald. Right? Yes. So, last year I was injured a bit. His first half of the year was amazing. Second half, not so much due to injuries and mostly injuries and not able to run as well as he wanted. Here's a couple of numbers. I'm looking over at, we did a Q&A with um, AZ Desert Swarm. It'll be, Desert Swarm, it'll be up soon. They did the same for us. Here's a couple of things I noticed here um, that will be, which goes along with Nick Rolovich wanting to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. So Arizona allowed opponents to convert 41% on third downs last year. That's basically lower middle of the pack, 81st in country. They were problem was on all those on those uh, excuse me, on all those times they had those third third down percentage not completed. They had more overwhelming majority third and sevens or longer. Mm-hmm. Which could be a couple of things. And so that could be their defense isn't very good, clearly. And that third and seven means teams were able to get a big place. So it's not like it was all third and ones, third and twos, which are easy easy to convert. 34 of those were third and long. And you have the number you put, what is the, from Football Outsiders, with the, uh, what's, what's it called, where it's like you need, X, um, shoot, you, um, you know what I'm talking about, like you need X amount of yards, for success rate, success, is that what it is? Success rate, yeah. Yeah, success rate. So, third, that's because third and seven to consider a long, a long shot success rate, essentially. If you're good, if you're good at that offense, you're really, really good. But what is it, like third and three, essentially, to be successful? Is that the, the numbers at? Well, on um, third downs, it's, it's essentially you get 100% of the yards you need. Yeah. And so if, you have, if you're getting 37 getting beat, that's not good. That's what I'm getting at it, there as I stumble through that analogy. Well, and, and to, <laughs> to that point, um, Hawaii's third down success rate last year was just 30 points, 30.2%. That was 128th nationally. Yeah. 
out of 130. And some of that was offset by the fact that they were willing to be aggressive and go for it on fourth downs, too. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. this is something I think we brought up on the Hawaii preview, but it's worth mentioning again. They completed 58% of their fourth down attempts, which is fairly significant. And I'm not sure if that's the kind of thing that's one of the, what you would call a sticky statistic or not. Um, I think the aggressiveness is definitely not going to be dialed down, especially if Hawaii has a chance to either go for the jugular or just needs to move the chains to kind of keep things going to try to stay within striking distance or something like that. Um, So, you know, you see the disparity between something like their third down success rate and the fact that overall on passing downs, they were still 43rd overall in the country, which is a lot better. But you really can't ignore the fact that for most of last year, they were putting themselves in a lot of less than ideal situations. You know, their their percentage of third and longs were, which is basically just third and seven or more, was over half their third down attempts. And that was in the triple digits nationally. So to me, it's not so much that the passing game is going to have to stay on schedule. I really look for the offense to to try to lean at least a little bit on the running game. Which to me, when you look they when you look to. at the depth chart for this game, to me it's telling that they have an or listed next to Dayton Peruta or Fred Holly or Miles Reed. They're going to need one of those guys to contribute, whether it's you know in sh- and the short passes where they want to set up some screens, or even just running between the tackles. One of those guys has to do something to make the running game look like to look more like it did in the first half of last year rather than the second half when it was more non-existent. Because you don't want to keep putting Cole McDonald in situations where you know, Hawaii, or excuse me, Arizona doesn't necessarily have like a world-beating front, but they do have some playmakers up there. Like they have Colin Schooler who could go in there. He had, what, 20 tackles for loss last year. Um, so they have playmakers up front. And so you can't put everything on McDonald to convert every single time. Yeah, and you're right. Like having those guys back, like last year, Fred Holly, 468. Mm-hmm. Dayton Fertura, 459. McDonald was hurt, didn't play well, ran less and less. But they're the, like we mentioned, run and shoot. It's not just pass, 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 pass. Mm-hmm. The running game, and as we mentioned, UNLV, run pass option a little bit is a key to this offense because you're still going to want to run with four wide outs, mm-hmm. three wide outs in tight end or pass catching tight end. So even with five wide, McDonald still has the opportunity to, to run the ball. There's going to be design runs with no running backs and a five wide shot. Mm-hmm. Just because that's what the offense does is spread everything out. So they do need, like, I honestly, I'd, it'd be nice if they had one guy stood out. But if they have both two or three guys, but they all combine for, say, three players run for 1,500 yards and McDonald has a couple hundred more, that'd be great. That'd be amazing. But I'd be more comfortable with them finding, say, it's Fred Holly being that guy or whoever. Mm-hmm. Regardless, it has to be somebody to do better than last year. Yeah, and that's going to open up JoJo Ward, Cedric Bird, who I predict, is this a bold prediction? Those two guys will combine for like 170 receptions? I don't think so. Bird and Ward? I mean, they were pretty close to <laughs> it. You said they are pretty close to 170 last year, weren't they? They had 130 Oh, okay, yeah. So, but if you look at Ursula and Bird, 89-79, so that's what, um, one, almost 170 right mm-hmm. there? So, possibility, but that's, I think that's the biggest thing for me, the offense. And then, we didn't mention the offensive line, it's amazing. It could, it could be one of the best in the conference. And so, they'll protect, protect McDonald better. They're another unit system. The running game should be better because the line, 
is more cohesive, more experienced, and you're playing Arizona defense that's just fine. I mean, they're slightly below average. We're not going to kid ourselves. And so, if they play like they did the first couple weeks, like, I'm not a super fan of all the aggressiveness they do, but week zero, what do you got to lose when it's fourth and two at the 20-year-old 29-yard line and just freak out Arizona by going for it? I could definitely see that happening. How many fourth downs will Rolo go for this game? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, because if, cause if you take, because if you take what, 58, thir- <laughs> what was it? No, how many? It was 38 fourth down conversions that they had last year. So that That's was like, half, what, three or four game. per game? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that number sounds about right, actually. So a couple? I'd say three or four. They'll go for it in three or four times? I think so. Okay. Um, what, do, what else do you think in the offense? Is that kind of explain? Because Arizona's defense, we mentioned, they're not that very good. They're, they're never going to see an offense like this in the Pac-12 all year. Mm-hmm. Like, the closest team, I don't think they play Oregon, but nobody passes like this team does. And so they've had all offseason to get used to it or practice best they can. I still, like, Going back to that almost the eleven point line, I still don't get why Arizona. Why is it, can you explain to me why Arizona is considered that much better? Is it just because when you look at Arizona's offense versus Hawaii's defense, that that gap is wider than Hawaii's offense and Arizona's defense? I mean, in in a word, yeah. Do you think that's true though? Well, yeah, I do actually. So you're okay. I I think Hawaii's the difference is better for Hawaii's offense. I think I think it could be. I think a lot of it is going to depend on the new guys that are stepping into the offense. Like obviously the focal points are going to be Bird and Ward, but I think there might be mm-hmm. just as much pressure on Jared Smart and Jason Matthew Sharsh, both of whom are in you know, the starting lineup with those two guys. And and we saw Sharsh a little bit last year, and you know he he showed out you know when he had a, some playing time, but also the. The offensive line, too, isn't without some question. They do have Cole Laval listed in the starting lineup, but he, too, has an or next to his name with Taga Tulima. So if he's 100%, I'm guessing they'll be fine. But if there's any kind of disruption in the continuity that the offense, that that line had last year, again, you know, Arizona doesn't have a great defensive front. Like, they were in the triple digits nationally in sack rate. But, you know, that's the kind of thing that we saw go sideways every so often for the Warriors last year. So they need to be able to keep McDonald upright. And, you know, those new guys need to contribute in the same way that we saw uh, in the passing game last year. Okay. So should we do prediction time? Let's do it. You want to go first or do I need to go first? I'll let you go first. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I will say, hey, first off, 11-point line, regardless of why would you lose, this, lose the game, they're going to cover that. I'm like 90%, 98% sure they're mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm crazy for saying that. Am I? I don't think so. Okay, so I think it's too many points. I am going to go with, I already predicted when I did my q and A. I I did a lot. And our, did I pick them overall? Do I need to go back to my... Thing real quick, my spreadsheet as I talk. <laughs> I think Hawaii has a chance. <laughs> There's so many games that picks we do. I honestly think Hawaii is going to win this game. You know, I noted I, I noticed on it's... College Football News that you were the only person to pick Hawaii to win this game. 
Oh, I did? That's right. I, so I'm going with Hawaii to win. Like, is it that big of an upset for Hawaii to beat Arizona? Did they even go to the bowl game last year? Arizona? Yeah. They did not. Okay, so what's the deal? Why are they? Is it because of the Pac-12 team? Well, I mean, the, the cool, like cool Tate's really good. The running back is good, but I just think it'll be a shootout. I mean, and anything can happen in a shootout. Well, I, I can't remember if we talked about this during the Hawaii podcast or not, but I think it is worth noting now. Uh, Arizona did lose four games by fewer than a, by fewer than eight points last year. Yeah. So you know they lost by five to BYU. They lost by one to UCLA. Lost by one to Arizona State. So it's not like, and they lost by four to USC as well. So it's not like they were that far away from being a bowl eligible team. Sure. I get all that. I, I just like the offense more than like, I like the offense better for Hawaii. Like remember back to last year, I know there's games like army and other matchups. They start off great. Like the CSU game was interesting, but Arizona is like, they're going to be a team, like like I mentioned earlier, they could be somebody storming the side of the Pac-12 South if Kolote could get back to himself. But he wasn't himself last year. He wasn't very good. I like Kevin Sumlin as a coach. Like, I have reasons to – there's reasons to be optimistic about Arizona. Mm-hmm. But there's also reasons for Hawaii because healthy McDonald, every single coach is back on this team. And with the, one of the best offensive lines around, they're going to push around Arizona front seven. That's not just meant to me. They're just okay. And they're at home, which – Whatever you think of that, it's a week zero, opening week for these teams. Or it's a far travel game for to get from Tucson to Honolulu. But I just think, what, like, if you look at me, the two best players on the field, probably the two quarterbacks, right? Mm, I, I don't know. Who else, who else you got? I would throw, I would throw Schooler in that mix. I would throw Taylor in that mix. Okay. okay. But there's, okay. So you say Arizona's more playmakers in Hawaii overall? Yeah, I would. Okay. More than even count for Ward and Bird? Well, okay, so here's one more thing. (laughs) (laughs) Before I let you give your prediction. Because it's it's not like Arizona doesn't run a defense that isn't prepared for something like this. You know, they they do run the 4-2-5, where obviously we don't know exactly what kind of role the linebackers are particularly going to play. But they have plenty of depth that has had some success with, you know, not only creating passes for creating opportunities for turnovers, but they're getting pieces back that they didn't have last year. We mentioned Jace Whitaker, I believe very briefly in the Hawaii podcast, you know, he's back. He's supposed to be starting, I believe at one of the safety spots uh, or rather one of the boundary corner spots. But two years ago, he had 13 pass breakups and three interceptions. Lorenzo Burns next to him had 11 pass breakups uh, Scotty Young at one of the safety positions, he had three pass breakups and three interceptions. So it's not like Cole McDonald is going to have it easy against this defense. True. I don't think he will, but I'm saying defense, like, compared to some of the face last, like San Diego State's defense, better. Fresno State's defense, better. He's faced better defenses than he'll face for Arizona. I look at it like this. If you're trusting one of these defenses to make a stop, Assuming that it does evolve into a shootout, which defense would you trust more? I would like to, I guess Arizona, but it's, it's very close. Like, I, I don't think the defense is that great. 
I'd give the edge to them, but it's not like any wide margin. And see, I would say it's Arizona too, but I don't think it's that close. At least not right now. Yeah. So my pick, as we spiraled away from that, as I almost made you pick first. Okay. By doing talking through all that. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, first to 40. I think it's going to be like 40 to 34 for Hawaii. All right. What do you got? Uh, I would suggest taking the under. Ooh. Uh, I have Arizona. I guess I take exactly. 40-34 is exactly. So oh, that would be a close. You could say 40 to 35, and that would get you the over. No, that'd be a field goal. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I would say take the under. I have Arizona winning this one 33 to 24. Okay. I would note as well in that CFN post, majority of the people took Hawaii to cover. There you go. Yeah, and and that by extension, I would suggest that you also take Hawaii to cover. Yeah. I, maybe I'm too high on the Warriors, but I just, like, I don't know, it's like what Cole McDonald can do, man. I think Arizona's going to be a pretty good team when 2019 is said and done. I think they can as well, but with being a week opening week, crazy things happen. That's true. I mean, I'm not going to be shocked if Arizona wins this, wins this, or excuse me, if Hawaii wins this game. But as I mean, as of right now, you know, going back to what I said a moment ago about which defense would you trust more? To me, that in this particular matchup, the answer is clearly Arizona, and so that's why I'm kind of leaning in that direction. All right, anything else we need to add for this uh, week zero show that went almost an hour for one game? I don't believe so. <laughs> I think we're good on this. So here's our plan for the season. Um, first off, subscribe to the podcast if you made it this far and stumbled across it somehow. iTunes, Stitcher, if you go to PodCoin, go check that out. It's a pretty cool place. Anywhere you can find your podcast. Somebody reached out for Spotify. TBD, working on it. We'll see. So you do know we don't have any royalty music in the show, so if we don't play music, we just go, we skip right to it. We don't need a fancy theme song, Matt, where we just jump right into it. Mm-hmm. So we might be there shortly. So our plan is to record Sunday and what, Wednesday, I think? Or yes. Most week. So that's our plan. Um, we'll have some previews coming up, some recaps, obviously, for all these games, some six burning questions we'll have for every team in the conference over the next couple of days. But again, week zero, Arizona traveling to Hawaii. CBS Sports Network, 7.30 Pacific, 4.30 local, 10.30 Eastern. Check out Match Preview to figure out how to watch the game if you don't have CBS Sports Network. And we finally made it. The sweet nectar of favorite drink of your choice is finally here. You can pop the lid and relax and watch some football. We'll see you next time, folks.